Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Welcome to this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Today's guest is Lee Strobel. He's an author, speaker, and teaching pastor at Woodlands Church in Texas. He's also on the faculty of Houston Baptist University. You probably remember his best-selling classic, The Case for Christ. It's turned into a movie. We're going to talk about the new film, The Case for Christ. We'll also talk about the change in apologetics over the last couple decades and how the church can have an effective witness in today's culture for the gospel. So we're going to jump right into this conversation with Lee Strobel. I know you're going to enjoy it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Lee, it is such a privilege to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. You've been a great friend to Outreach, and we just want to welcome you. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Brian. Great to talk to you. I love Outreach and all that you do for the gospel, so God bless you. Fantastic. Well, we're going to talk about a number of things. I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today. We're going to talk about apologetics. We're going to talk about your new film, The Case for Christ, and we're going to dig into some cultural threads as well, too. So lots of fun stuff to discuss, but I want to start out to talk about the new movie, and yes. I think that's a really fascinating, and I got to see an early screener as well. So I, I just want to talk a little bit about that. If you could explain us how that came about. It's based off yeah. your best-selling book, The Case for Christ. It was published in 1998. And uh, so almost 20 years later, seeing the, the big screen, which is a really exciting event. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, the book's been out, as you say, since 1998. We just recently came out with an updated and expanded version that has more evidence in it, more archaeological findings and manuscript findings, uh, an additional chapter. So we're just freshening up the book and updating it when I got a phone call from PureFlix, the folks that did God's Not Dead 2, and, or, and God's Not Dead. I had been actually in God's Not Dead 2. I had a small role in that film. And they called and, and talked to me about maybe bringing it to uh, movie theaters, the, mo- the book, The Case for Christ and My Story. And um, my thought as an evangelist, as someone who wants to reach people with the gospel, is that uh, great. Uh, this could be a great outreach event for churches. You know, a lot of people won't read a book. They may not yet come to church, but they'll go to a movie. So um, I said, let's do it. But I put in the contract that it would have to be written by Brian Bird. Uh, Brian is a friend of mine. He's written 17 movies and um, wrote a lot of the Touch by an Angel television episodes. Just a great Christian guy. And they agreed, and I sat down with Brian for a couple of weeks. We uh, did a kind of a mind dump on all my life, and Brian wrote an incredible script based on the true story. And um, you know what? God's hand has been on this from the beginning. We saw in the selection of the actors and actresses and the director, the producer, John Gunn is the director, just a great team that, that God brought together. Uh, Not all Christians, a lot of the actors are not believers, but gave us an opportunity to uh, uh, explain the gospel to them. I gave them each a copy of the book and personalized it for them. Uh, So it's, it's, and we started each day on the set with prayer uh, that was voluntary, but a lot of people who weren't believers uh, were intrigued and we had wonderful conversations behind the scenes. So it's all in all been an incredible experience. I was most heartened by someone, uh, a pastor who saw an early screen of the film, and he said, uh, this is going to be the outreach film of the genera- of this generation, which is probably hyperbolic. You know, it's probably over the top. But my prayer and hope, especially with this film coming out on April 7th, is that uh, churches would leverage it uh, to reach people with the gospel and the, to bring them then into their Easter services. So we're praying for a great harvest this Easter. Excellent. No, that's great. And I, and I am so glad that you got Brian Bird to do that. I think Brian's work is excellent. And uh, yeah. 
Great to see him uh, take such a prominent role in this too. And I think just to talk about like one of the really interesting things to me about the film is that it is uh, that you decided to do not a documentary but a narrative. So it's a storyline, you know, based on your your life and based on obviously the book and the storyline that goes into that. But I think that the amazing thing is like the deeply relational aspect the book has or the the movie has rather. Yeah. And how those relationships intertwine. And I, I don't know if anybody has said this. Have, have you heard anybody say the the actors and the casting, that there's a great similarity between The Case for Christ and the show This Is Us. Has anybody no. said that yet? No. As I really? was watching it, yeah, it just fant- it just like stuck out to me. Like um, the actors, you know, I mean, that you have uh, Mike Vogel, Erica right. Christensen, Milo Ventimiglia, and Mandy Moore. It's almost like there's this connection of what, what that looks like. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be interested to see if anybody else, but they're both obviously take place in the 80s. Similar cast members. I thought the, right. the uh, I don't know, similarities were great. But again, like the thing that stuck out to me, um, obviously there's a lot of things that we'll discuss more of them, was just the aspect that I think in the book, your search for evidence to disprove Christianity was what stuck out to me. Yeah. But in the movie, it was the relationship with your wife and how she impacted your faith that really stuck out to me. Yeah, I think what will surprise people is this is a love story. Uh, first and foremost, it's a love story between two people that met when we were 14 years old, got married young. I was 20. She was 19. Couldn't even drink champagne at our wedding. We <laughs> drank milk because we were too young to, at the time to drink uh, champagne. And we had a pretty good marriage, even though I was an atheist and she was an agnostic, until uh, uh, through a neighbor's meddling, <laughs> Leslie ends up coming to faith in Christ. And uh, that created all kinds of problems with our marriage because all of a sudden our values were at odds. The way we wanted to raise our children, how to spend our money, how to spend our weekends, uh, all these um, moral decisions and so forth, they were all at odds. And it really threw turmoil into our marriage. We actually did a book, Leslie and I, called Spiritual Mismatch which is about how, what do you do when your spouse is not a believer? And a lot of the movie is actually taken from that book um, because uh, it talks about the relational side. And also it's a father-son relationship. You know, I had a very difficult relationship with my dad and um, studies have shown that, um, you know, most of the famous atheists of history, Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, Freud, um, Voltaire, um, uh, Wells, Feuerbach, all had a father who either died when they were young, divorced their mother when they were young, or with whom they had a terrible relationship. And the implication that Freud brought out was that if your earthly father has uh, disappointed you, uh, why would you want to pursue a heavenly father? It's only going to be worse. And so there's that aspect of the film as well. So you're right. Um, you know, there was a documentary done on the case for Christ years ago and a very nice job done by uh, La Mirada Films, and that's still in production. But this is a narrative. This is a love story. This is a uh, story with, a, as you say, a great cast. Uh, Mike Vogel, who plays me, is a strong Christian. Um, we even have uh, Faye Dunaway in the movie. Uh, who's Catholic, and she um, plays a psychologist who I interview. And, you know, anybody over the age of 40 says, oh, my goodness, you oh, got yeah. Faye Dunaway. Anybody under 40 says, who's she? You know, yep. <laughs> she's like an icon in Hollywood, <laughs> Academy Award, <laughs> Golden Globe, and so forth. It's funny how those things work. It is. They probably would, <laughs> would recognize Erica Christensen from Parenthood. Yes. And, and again, that's why there's so much to this film, but I think the the aspect of the 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 study of the faith claims and you know, I mean trying to prove Christianity wrong and then your climactic conversion moment. Um, again, this the steeped in the context of human relationships is really yeah. the powerful part about it. And I think that's, again, what makes it uh, such a great and easy invitation 
to mm. non-believers and yeah. such an easy outreach to go like, hey, this isn't um, an in-your-face drama about why you should believe. This is a moving human drama about, I mean, relationships and ultimately about our purpose in life. And it's it's extremely powerful. Oh, that's great. Thank, I'm glad you said that. And you're exactly right. That's our hope that people would see this as a great, independent even of the of the message of the film. It's just great cinema. It, it's just a great script, great acting and, and a great story, I think. It is. And I think in the age that we live in, and we'll, we'll jump in and transition a little bit to, to talking about today's culture and apologetics and the role of that. I think it's fascinating today where you know, back in you know the early and late '90s, I think news and journalism. You know, it, there's always going to be some skepticism, you know, within right. the media. But today, I think we live in a in a much larger scale of skepticism with yeah. the media, um, fake news, a lot of talk about alter- alternative facts and all those different things, which right. I think makes this really unique in the fact that this isn't just about like, hey, trust the truth or trust the process of discovering truth, but about believing it and about experiencing it um, as yeah. well. Uh, but yeah, let, talk to me a little bit about like anything that surprised you, like when you watched the film back, uh, like mm. watching your, I, I guess watching your faith experience happen on the screen and seeing it through the, a narrative lens. How did that impact you? What kind of takeaway did you? Well, have? you know, it's very emotional for us. Um, we were on the set for the scene where the character who plays me comes to faith in Christ, and I was crying. And um, uh, after he came out of the house where they filmed it, uh, I went up to Mike Vogel, and I just want to say thanks for being honest and real in that scene because it can always, you know, it can sometimes be cheesy and and hokey when when there's a prayer in a film. And even some of the early versions of the film didn't include the prayer, but now the prayer is in the movie because it's so authentic and yeah. so raw Best and part so of the movie. real. Oh my gosh. And I wanted to thank him and I just burst into tears and I Mm -hmm. just hugged him. And, and, uh, I'm just so grateful for their honesty. And so watching all that, it's funny. My wife uh, has watched the, uh, movie. We have a copy of it on our computer now. Uh, She's watched it half a dozen times. And I said to her, why are you watching it so much? She said, I'm trying to get cried out. Uh, because I don't want to go to the movie theater and be crying in the movie theater. I want to get all the tears out before I have to go public. That is great. Because <laughs> it is emotional. And and uh, and yet, you know, at my heart, and I know the heart of your listeners and the heart of outreach, is how do we reach people with the gospel? Yes. And the gospel is in this film. The, the, the verse that led me to faith is John 1, 12. Uh, believe plus receive equals become. And my prayer is that there's going to be a lot of people going to go to this film and they're going to be spiritually confused and they're going to hear the evidence for the uh, resurrection of Jesus, which is clearly presented in the movie. And they're going to say, well, yeah, I agree with that, but my life hasn't changed like his. I haven't had a moment where my life has turned around and they're going to realize, wait a minute, there's something missing. It's not enough just to generally be in agreement with Christian doctrine. I have to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased on the cross when he died as our substitute to pay for all of our sin. Mm -hmm. And it's receiving that gift of grace when we become a child of God. And my prayer is that a lot of light bulbs are going to go on and people heads. And they're going to say, oh my goodness, no wonder my life hasn't changed. I need to receive Christ as my leader, as my forgiver, as my Lord, as my savior. And, uh, so we're excited about that. When I watch the film, um, you know, I cringe at the moments in the film when I'm, you know, I've drunk too much and uh, react angrily to Leslie. Um, there's the scene where she tells me that she loves me even more 
because um, of Jesus being in her life now. Hmm. And my reaction is, what are you talking about? Uh, prove it kind of thing. That, that's just emotion. That's just feelings. That's not evidence. That's not proof. And so I wince at those things because they're so true. I mean, those are the things I said. And, and um, you know, I was not a pleasant person uh, to be around in those days. And, and reliving that is hard. But my prayer is God will redeem it and use it to reach others. Yeah, definitely. And I think having that reality in there, that the contrast of transformation within your own life is, is so powerful. And even, uh-huh. yeah, watching your wife's I mean, transformation, I mean, all of yeah. that again. And, and I guess I would ask, like, the difference of, you know, maybe you know, 20 years ago— and how people perceived faith and how people, like even who were non-believers or atheists, how they were won over to the faith like you were. Yeah. In contrast to today, like what's the cultural climate? How has it shifted? And how do you look at apologetics and um, evangelism differently today than you did 20 years ago, maybe? Well, I think we're entering a golden era of Christian apologetics. And um, it does look different, as you say. I think people are still interested in evidence, are still interested in whether this is really true, whether there's substance to it, whether it's built on shifting sands or legend or make-believe or wishful thinking, or it's built on something more solid and true. People are interested, and, and Christianity Today had a headline that said um, apologetics is making a comeback among student ministries. Young people are interested. And why? Because their atheist friends are raising a lot of questions. And sometimes the churches haven't done a great job in training us in understanding not just what we believe, but why we believe it. And so young people are hungry for this kind of evidence and uh, to be able to help have conversations with their non-believing friends. I think churches are ratcheting up their emphasis on apologetics. We're seeing better scholarship. Um, I mean, my goodness, we've got incredible uh, scholarship going on. I'm on the faculty of Houston Baptist University, along with uh, William Lane Craig, who I think is the greatest defender of Christianity in the world. And a lot of wonderful things going on. But I think the key to me these days in our culture today is not debate, it's dialogue. It's conversations, it's relationships, it's doing more listening than talking, it's uh, sitting down with someone who has different views than we do, and having a friendship, having a conversation, and uh, validating them as people made in the image of God, and being on a spiritual journey, and um, allowing them the elbow room to ask questions and to to investigate and so forth. So I'm, I think the the personal side, the the relational side of evangelism and apologetics is ever more important these days. Hmm. No, I think that's great. It's it's interesting. Last week, it was Ricky Gervais was on the Stephen Colbert show, and they had a little bit, de- bit of a debate again about the existence of God. That. Yeah, it was fascinating to listen to these two, I mean, celebrities talk through that. And I think Ricky Gervais said basically, you know, I mean, um, if there's 3,000 gods in the, you know, in the world, he doesn't believe in any of them. And you know, I mean, Stephen Colbert doesn't believe in 2,999, so he believes yeah. in one less. And they went back and forth, and there was it was some fun and funny dialogue. But at the end, it kind of one of those things where I felt like Colbert backed away, and mm. you know, he just kind of gave him the stage and listened well. So I think, like you said, that dialogue is good, but it kind of yeah. pulled away without saying, hey, I can keep going on this and, and drive you know, with my personal experience and with the truth more firmly. Yeah, you know, we have an unfair advantage, I think Christians do, in the marketplace of ideas, which is truth is on our side. And so we don't want to hammer people with it. Sure. But I think to bring a uh, an apologetic, to, to bring the evidence and to talk honestly and uh, about the difference God has made in our own lives and how truth matters. Um, you know, this, what was that word that uh, they used to describe 2016, the new word in the dictionary? Untruth, was it? Or yeah. non-truth? Or, <laughs> um, you know, that's dangerous. 
this. And you see it in journalism. You see the increased skepticism about the media because uh, opinions have so crept into reporting and uh, so forth. So we live in an age where truth is a little bit slippery, but we fortunately stand on a solid rock. And, um, and we can proclaim that in a way that's winsome and attractive, but still scripturally accurate. And I think there's a generation out there that wants to have their feet on solid ground. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest part where we talk about, like, how do we present Christianity as an established truth in an age of ultra skepticism about media? What are some yeah. things that we can do, I mean, as churches and as leaders to present Christianity as truth in a way that, that will be better received. Yeah. I think one of the best things that churches can do, and I've been campaigning on this for years, and it's now starting to finally take root in some places, and that is any church of any kind, any denomination, any style, any worship style can start small groups for non-believers. They're called spiritual discovery groups. And I teach them at, my, at the university here at Houston Baptist University. Gary Poole, my friend, has written the best book on how to do these groups. The book is called Seeker Small Groups. And um, any church can do these groups, and any Christian can lead these groups. Now, they're usually led by a Christian couple or, or two Christians and maybe half a dozen non-believers. And they go on a journey together to talk about spiritual matters. Um, we did this in Chicago. We launched these groups in the 1990s. We tracked them over a period of time. We eventually had 1,100 non-believers in these groups. And over a period of time, we found that if a non-believer joins one of these groups and stays in it, 80% come to faith in Christ. Wow. 80%. Where do you get an 80% conversion rate? I think these groups fit the 21st century because people want to express their opinions. They want to talk about what they believe and why they believe it and, and be in an authentic conversation. And so one of the things we've done with the Case for Christ movie is we've created a small group curriculum that is suitable for this kind of thing. It's good for Christians, but it's also open for non-believers. And Outreach is actually distributing it. Uh, there's actually two versions of it. And and um, uh, it's our way of saying, leverage the film, invite people into a conversation, get together, talk about these things, go through a four-week small group experience together. And um, I'm telling you, God uses these in an amazing, amazing way. I'm even doing a couple of videos um, on our website, The Case for Christmovie.com, The Case for Christmovie.com, uh, how to invite someone to the movie. And then another video I've done on how to have a conversation afterwards, how to talk about it. Mm. And those will be free to people to, um, so they can look at it and figure out how do I invite someone who's not a Christian, but then how do I have a conversation afterwards? And to invite them not only to Easter services at church, which is really great, but also maybe into an experience with two or three people to go through a curriculum like we have available. No, that's great. And we'll make sure to put all that in the show notes so people can access them easily. And I think great. it is like it's great to think through, like you're saying, like leveraging the outreach season. I mean, to have something prepared for seekers post Easter to be ready yes. and to, to dig deeper. And that any church can really do this. I mean, it's super accessible to think through these small groups approaches or the small group approach to absolutely I mean, building relationships with people who are searching. And, and I, I would love to get your input on 
like for the eighty percent conversion rate on that, like what yeah. what you think some of the angles of why that is those groups are so successful? Yeah, um, would love to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I think they're successful because in the twenty first century, especially among millennials, they want to express their opinions. Everybody reads Wikipedia, uh, so they think they're an expert on everything. Um, everybody uh, has been told that they're special and that they get a trophy, and so everybody feels like their opinions are important, and they are important. They're important to them, and so when we can create environment where it's safe to ask questions and safe to investigate, uh, I think people flock to that. And the key thing to understand is it's not like the Christian is put on the hot seat and be, has to be the Bible answer man. In fact, in the book, Seeker Small Groups, you're encouraged not to answer questions, but to ask further questions. For instance, if somebody asks, uh, and one of the questions that you ask in the group sometimes is, if you could ask God any one question and you knew he'd give you an answer, what would you ask him? And so a person might ask, well, I'd like to ask, um, you know, why does God allow pain and suffering? Well, instead of trying to give a three-point answer to that question, we train the leader to say, well, now that's fascinating. Of all the questions in the universe that you could have asked, why did you ask that question? Hmm. And then they say, well, because my wife lost our child in childbirth five years ago, and I want to know where God was. Well, now all of a sudden you've gone from a pure intellectual question to a personal, emotional experience uh, issue. And uh, that becomes the fodder for the conversation. Tell me about what happened. How did you feel? And so forth. So, you know, I, I think these groups should not be viewed as being little debates about Christianity. Yeah. In fact, the funny thing is apologists are generally the worst people to lead these groups <laughs> because somebody will ask a question. The apologist will say, oh, let me give me 15 reasons uh, answering that question. That just shuts down the conversation. You want to encourage the conversation and listen more than you talk. Now, yes, to bring a biblical perspective, but over time to see each person come to faith in the group and to see how they come to the group and talk about how they've come to faith and how that impacts the non-believers in the group. I'm telling you, it, it is a wonderful phenomenon. I would encourage every church to say, let's use this film as an opportunity to launch a couple, just a couple of these groups to see how it goes. And, um, and I'm telling you, it, it, they will catch fire and you'll have stories and you'll have baptisms. And, and, and I bet it'll create a movement in your church for these groups. I love it. No, and I think there's such an important aspect to the knowledge base of having an understanding of apologetics, knowing you know, I mean, the reasons for our faith deeply, but then putting the relationships first in these groups yes. like you're talking about and embracing that aspect of, of understanding what we're doing is listening and caring for real human beings Yes. Um, and so dispersing that information as we need to and as is important. But um, yep. like you said, and, that it's not first about— Peter, yeah. First Peter 3.15 says, do it gently and respectfully. So, I mean, we're told in Scripture how to do it, uh, not to slap people over the face, but to be gentle and respectful. Yeah. No, I love that. That's excellent. And uh, let me ask you this. like, um, As we talk about the church of, uh, overall and leaders and pastors right now who are listening— um, what do you think we can do in a general sense to increase our our witness to really uh, to mm. build a stronger witness for the church? And this, I mean, we know that there's so much of a, a battle against faith, and we see it. You know, I mean, in lots of different ways. You mean from a political spectrum to the media yeah. to journalism to um, to even you know mainstream pop culture, movies and TV. Um, there's just a, a real critical look about. Christians and who they are and what they believe and um, that we're one way, not the other. And I just wanted, like, how can the church as a whole, how can we make progress in letting the world see us again as people who 
deeply love others and deeply love neighbors and our enemies and instead of people who are standing up for our own rights and that becomes yeah. more important than actually standing up for the freedom and rights of others. I'd be curious to what you what you think about that. Yeah, you know, we're living in a very divisive age um, at a very at a time when there's a lot of conflict, a lot of cross opinions, a lot of anger, a lot of um, hatred, a lot of ugly things going on in our culture right now. And, you know, I think for churches to emphasize uh, the love of Christ for every person. And, um, you know, we, how do we do that? We do that through being authentic. I think every pastor, you know, all ch- churches are all going to look different because... Yeah. They're based on different personalities and so forth. And that's great. You have to be authentic to who God made you to be. So I think it's good that we have a variety of different approaches in churches around the country. But um, I think being authentic, uh, expressing our love for everybody uh, through... Uh, ministries that serve people in practical ways, that bring a cup of cold water, that bring food, that bring housing, that bring clothing, that bring job opportunities to the community. I mean, all those social action things that churches do are ever more important because they're tangible ways that we express the love of Christ. But I think where churches make the mistake is they begin to major in that and ignore the proclamation of the gospel. Hmm. Uh, You know, Romans says, how are people going to know unless we tell them? And so it's it is important to have the social aspect as, uh, of the church, but I think there's a balance that needs to be reached, and that balance includes the expression of the gospel, the only message on planet Earth that can change a person's eternal destination, to make sure that we're explaining that in honest and humble and easy-to-understand terms. You know, I was at our church. Um, I, I'm a teaching pastor at Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook here at, in the Woodlands, Texas. And we had a service this last uh, Saturday night in which we invited our um, student ministries uh, to come into the main service uh, for a special opportunity. And, and to see these, well, probably... I don't know how many there were. were, I couldn't even count them. Thousands of young people so passionate about their faith, so in love with Christ, so engulfed in in the worship of God, so hungry for the Word of God to be explained to them and to learn and to grow. That tells me, you know, we are reaching people. And, and, and even though, yes, we're hitting some troubled times in terms of the culture, um, I think it's that authenticity. It's the forthrightness and humility with which we present the gospel. It's the way we serve the community. It's the way that our churches, you know, when people say the name of our church in the community, what's the first thing that comes to people's mind? Uh, you know, it's the first word that comes to people's mind, politics. Is it division? Is it uh, anger? Uh, What's the first word that comes to people's minds? I want the word to be love. Hmm. I want the word to be love. I want it to be that God loves us, that he, uh, you know, he he sent his son to die so that we could spend eternity with him, that um, because God loves us, we love you too. And we want to serve you and we want to reach out to you and care about your kids and their growth and so forth. So, you know, I think to have that as a goal of pastors to say, you know, what is the first word that's going to come into people's mind in our community when they think of our church? You know, what is that word? You know, I want it to be love. Okay, if that's true, then how do we structure our church in such a way? What do we emphasize? What programs do we do? What ministries do we launch so that that is the word that comes to people's minds? Amen. Now, that's a great word. And I just want to encourage our listeners to even 
maybe meet with their staffs this week and ask that question. You know, what does the community think of your church in one word, and, and what do you want your church to be known by? And walk through that with your staff even. Um, a great word, uh, Lee, and I appreciate that. And Lee, sure. so, just incredibly appreciative of your time and your work and, and how God is using your story. And it's fascinating to look at you know the span of A Case for Christ, I mean, again, published in 1998. And I think at that time was met such a, a ripe need in the church mm. and in the world for the gospel. And today with this movie, praying the same as this narrative comes out where people, I think it's a winsome, beautiful movie that enters into relationships I think people will identify with and want to encourage our readers to be a part of that. If that fits your church, to check out the links in the show notes and be a part of that and, and plan for that too and, and pray and ask God to do an incredible work. So Lee, thanks so much again for your time and your ministry. Oh, thanks, and uh, and we'll talk to you very soon, I'm, well, I'm sure. I appreciate you and outreach, and I appreciate every single pastor out there. I mean, I uh, I pray for pastors uh, virtually every day because uh, I know that apart from the work of God in your heart, it is an impossible job to be a pastor. But yeah. with his power and with the Holy Spirit, God is bringing great uh, change into our land and into our hearts. So I, I appreciate every pastor and the role that they play. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.